So our church, today we are, we're back in the Ephesians chapter 3. Um, last week we looked at our access that we have to God, which lays our foundation for prayer. And then today we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. So we'll look at verse 14 down to verse uh, 19. But um, we're only going to look at a, we're only going to study a part of that text today. But we're going to read the entire prayer just so we can get a context. And um, this prayer today that we're going to be looking at, uh, I would I would break this prayer down verse fourteen to nineteen. It's really three petitions, but depending on your Bible translation, they put the the uh, semicolon in different places, so you may. Other speakers may look at additional petitions, but I, I kind of break it down into three buckets, three petitions. Um, and I put those three petitions in this, this group. Paul first prays for strength in the inner person so that Christ will dwell through faith. That's the first petition. And you can see that in um, verses 16 through 17, or 17, the B portion. And then he prays that the Ephesians would know the love of Christ. And I would say that's the B portion down to the verse 18. The, I would say the B portion of 17 down to the beginning of verse 19. It's knowing the love of Christ. And then finally in 19, he says he, he wants us, uh, the Ephesians, to be filled with all the fullness of God. And so I would say that's the third petition. And if you notice that these petitions kind of build on top of each other, um, he has many conclusions in each one as he builds and goes on to the next one. And so those are the three main petitions here. But um, today we're only going to focus on the first one. We're going to focus on, only on the first one where Paul prays for strength in the inner person so that Christ will dwell by faith. So that's what we'll be looking at today. So we'll be looking at the first petition. And also, before we even get to that first petition, we're going to look at the posture of Paul's prayer, the posture of his prayer. That's always very important. What's our prayer posture? So we'll look at the prayer posture, and then we'll look at the first petition. Verse 14. The Word of God reads this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. 17, so that, here's the objective, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Amen. So that is where we are. That's the that is Paul's prayer. The next part, verse twenty on down, it's more of a, a doxology, I guess you would say. But that's Paul's prayer right there for these Ephesians. And so let's dig into this prayer. Let's dig into this prayer. But before we do that, I want to give you a summary of just kind of like last week and how we come to this point, because I understand life happens and we can forget what we even read, you know, a few days ago sometimes. So to summarize in a sense, Paul is 
he's in prison. Remember this, this letter to the Ephesians, this is called an, a prison epistle. So Paul is writing this letter from prison and Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. He's in prison for telling the Gentiles of the glory that they can have in God through Christ. And so Paul is in prison and the Ephesians know that Paul is in prison and they're actually discouraged or disheartened, disheartened by it. And Paul does not want the Ephesians to be discouraged or disheartened by his, tri or his tribulations. So he spends chapter three explaining his calling and the purpose of his calling all in, in an effort to really encourage them, which I find ironic because Paul is the one that is actually in chains, right? He is the one who has lost his freedoms, yet he is encouraging those on the outside. So that tells me what that tells me um what joy and hope that he must have on the inside that when he is facing tribulations on the outside he's still able to encourage others and i pray that that same spirit that same tenacity is in you brothers and sisters that even though you're going through tough times even though you may be dealing with things on the inside you should, should still be able to encourage one another to encourage your brothers and sisters who are um in your presence who God has brought you around. Um, a person or a good example of that is Brother Fernando. I think about Brother Fernando, if you remember when he was in the hospital on that ventilator fighting for his life, he would still send out scriptures to give hope and encouragement to others. See, that, that's that spirit, that's that attitude, that's that tenacity we want to have that Paul has. He was still, he would always send me scriptures. He would always check up on me sometimes and, 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 and different things. That's amazing. So, so Fernando was really acting in that Pauline spirit there and of encouraging others that uh, even in the midst of their own trial, even in the midst of their own tribulation. Now, the other thing with the Apostle Paul is that he so loved the church these Ephesians and, and did not want them to feel sorry or down about his current circumstances. Not only did he pray for them, but he would often, he, or what he did, not often, what he did, he, he would send another brother to go and make them uh, aware of his actual circumstances so they wouldn't get too down or too much in sorrow based on what he was dealing with. And we find this in Ephesians chapter six, for example. In Ephesians six, Verse 21 through 22, because again, the Ephesians, they know that their brother Paul is in prison. They know he's he's locked up and, and they're discouraged by it, maybe because of what he's dealing with and, and maybe the potential persecution that may be coming their way. And so what the apostle Paul does is he sends Tychicus to them to go and encourage their heart and to give them a real life update on how he's doing so they won't get too down. Let me read that verse to you in verse chapter six. He says this, verse 21, going on to 22. He says, but that you may also, but that you also may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing. So he wants to inform them. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that you, and that he may comfort your hearts. So you see the, the mindfulness of Paul? He doesn't want the body of Christ being discouraged and, and worried or fretting about his well-being. So he's gonna send this brother to go and, and encourage them and to make them aware. He's gonna give them real-time updates so that they understand what Paul is going through and that they don't lose heart. 
I love the mindfulness of Paul here. You, do you see the heart of the apostle for the church? He, he wants the Ephesians to know the, the things that he's dealing with so that they don't get too down. And church, I pray that we also have this same mindfulness with one another. That, for example, if you happen to miss a Sunday or two, that you will update the body so we don't worry about you, that you can have that mindfulness. That's what Paul is doing right here. He, he has some mindfulness that this church is concerned about him, and he doesn't want them in the dark worrying and feeling discouraged. And so he sends his brother to let them know, I'm okay. Go encourage these brothers, uh, Tychicus. And so I pray that we can have that heart. And I pray that we have this heart of Paul, which is the heart of Jesus, that we can so care and have concern for one another. Especially right now, as Brother Anthony brought up, and I believe that was Sister Marie, we are right now at a time where political and social forces on the outside of the body of Christ are encouraging us to go at each other's throat and demonize those who don't see matters as we do. So right now, it's more than ever, we need that heart of Paul, that heart which is really the heart of Jesus and a, and a love and a concern and care for one another. That's what we need right now because we see these forces on the outside are trying to cause us to go at each other. Now, besides giving the Ephesians detail and explanation into his calling and God's greater purpose, along with sending Tychicus to give the, the church at Ephesus a real-time update and encouragement, the Apostle Paul is also going to do the thing that we should always do when a brother or sister is feeling discouraged, fearful, or down, especially when we can't be there with them physically. He prays for the Ephesians. He prays for the Ephesians. Why is this so important? And I'm making a highlight or a note of this. One is because, as I've already mentioned, Paul is the one in chains. He's the one that's facing tribulations, yet he is praying for those on the outside. So again, that should encourage us that even though we're going through what we are going through, church, we should still be willing to pray and go to the, to the throne uh, for our brothers and sisters. The second reason why I'm highlighting this point of Paul praying for the Ephesians is based on what we spent the bulk of last week looking at. We talked about last week how through Christ, we now have this unprecedented access to God in a way that those in the Old Testament never did. Remember, Jesus has made a new and living way to the Father. No more going through this earthly high priest once a year to the holies of holies. Now we have this access on, on our own. We can now go and approach the throne and approach the Lord of glory we looked at last week with, with boldness and confidence. But with this boldness and confident access that we have, how does the apostle use that access? How does the apostle use this Christian privilege that we now have of going beyond the veil or, or beyond the, the uh, beyond from, I guess you would say, outside of the Holy of Holies and to the holies of holies and to the praise the presence of God and where he is. How does the apostle use this access? What we find is that the apostle is often going to the throne room of God. He's often going to the throne. He's often going behind the veil for the sake of others. He's always taking others with him to the throne. That's how he's using his Christian privilege of having this unprecedented access to God. He's always bringing others before him. But again, but what about you? When you go to the throne, when you are communing with God, do you take others with you? It's a question. How are you using your access? How are you using this Christian privilege of having 
full-fledged, with confidence and boldness, access to the Lord of glory. Last week in the group chat, I had posted um, a website that contained all of Paul's prayers. And, and, and I had sat down and I went to that website and, and I went to all of the prayers that Paul would pray. And it just left me in awe because I didn't realize that he prayed this much for the church. And in all of his letters, he's constantly interceding and he's praying for believers and he's bringing them up to God and he's praying that God's grace may be with him, be with them. I mean, I was just looking at the, the letter to the Thessalonians. I didn't realize how much he was praying and going to the throne. Even in that letter, he starts off that letter by praying for them. In the middle of the letter, he's, he's making petitions on their behalf. And at the end of the letter, again, he's making petitions. He's often going to the throne, using this access for the sake of others. And so I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, are you doing the same? Are you going to the throne room? Are you going behind the veil when mentioning your brothers and sisters, the ones who are saying, pray for me, even on our Zoom chats, let's use our access, not just for ourselves, but also to bring our requests of our brothers and sisters with us. Third reason why Paul's prayer is significant is the apostle's solution to discouragement is what? Prayer. It's prayer. And, and I say that to push against the culture that tells me if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling discouraged, go ahead and try retail therapy and shop to you drop or go ahead and just work out or go ahead and just run a couple of miles or, or go ahead and just, just smoke this weed or this fun or, or go ahead and just drink this fifth or whatever. Now, I'm not against therapeutic methods that the scripture would sanction. There's nothing wrong again with working out, but prayer has to be central, my brothers. So with prayer being essential and central, and the apostle aware of the discouragement that the church feels due to his tribulation, he begins to pray to the Father on their behalf. He said, I'm, I'm bowing my knees to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Bending his knee, what does what that signify? Whether well, physically symbolizes submission and humility. It's saying, God, you are greater than I. You are worthy. And so I'm using my body and all that I am to honor you. See, when we pray and we bow our heads, we, we, are, we are using our body and saying, God, you are worthy. I really don't even deserve to look up at you because you are worthy. You are so holy. Do you remember Jesus' um, uh, talking about the tax collector and the Pharisee. You remember he, he told that story and how the Pharisee, or, or I'm sorry, the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. See, that, that is the posture of humility that we want to have when we approach the throne of glory. Now, here's where the tension comes into play, brothers and sisters. The tension is this. In the verse that we looked at last week, uh, verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 22, if you remember, we looked at that. The word of God says that we can have or that we can come before God with confidence and boldness. And this we should do. Why? Because you are talking to your father. So we should go with confidence. We should go boldly because I am now communing with my father. But again, on the other hand, you still have to know who you are approaching. You are communing with God. And Paul recognizes this 
in the next part of his prayer where he says that he, he bows his knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives it, its name. And we can dig into what every family in heaven means. Most commentators that I've seen would say he's probably speaking to angelic families. There are probably families of angels. But then he says the families on earth, which is, which is us. But, but what does that mean that Paul says, I'm bowing my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name? What does that mean, deriving its name? Well, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, remember that Adam was given the responsibility of what? Naming the animals. See, the, the naming of the animals, it, it showed that Adam has authority and dominion over these animals, that they are inferior to him. And it's the same thing with God. He has authority over us. He is creator. He is superior. He's the creator of all things. And so Paul says he is bending his knees and he's, he's recognizing who is he is approaching. He said, I'm approaching the, the father from whom every family on heaven and earth is deriving its name. I liken this to Paul metaphorically slipping off his sandals and saying, I am going before God, the creator of everything. So that is the posture you see that, that Paul is laying the groundwork for in his petition on the behalf of the Ephesians. And this is a, a good principle and practice, brothers and sisters, that you and I should go by when we go into prayer. That is, we recognize the greatness of the one we are communing with. Sometimes we just go into prayer, but before we go into prayer, we should say, I'm going to pray before the God of the universe, the one who everyone on creation gets its name. I'm going before the one who has created the stars, the suns, and the moon. I'm, I'm going before the one who has created uh, the universe. I, I'm going before the one who has created all things that I can see. I'm, I'm going before the one who's given men the mind to create many of the wonderful things that we have in our society. See, we need to go and approach the throne that way, understanding who we're speaking to. That's, that is a good principle. Matter of fact, this is what Jesus teaches his disciples to do in the model prayer, Matthew 6, 9. Do you remember how he starts off the model prayer? What is, how does the word of God speak? It says, our Father, what? Who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. You are in heaven. I am on the earth, God. You are in the holy realm receiving praise and honor from an innumerable number of angels and heavenly beasts, and, and I am on the earth. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says that um, uh, for, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. So we have to know who we are approaching. So to, to, to use a modern vernacular, Apostle is starting his prayer by saying, boy or girl, recognize who you're talking to. Bend them knees. This is the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. This is the posture of prayer. It is a posture of humility and submission. So that is what we see here at the beginning of Paul's prayer. Humility and submission. Now let's look at the actual first petition. Let's look at the first petition. So recognizing that the Ephesians are shaken up or discouraged by his tribulation or the potential tribulation that may come their way due to their faith in Jesus, he is now praying that these Ephesians will be strengthened in their inner person so that Christ will dwell in their heart through faith. 
And the fact that Paul, again, I, I know I've mentioned this in the past, but the fact that he prays for strength in the inner person tells us that the inner person can grow weak, that our spirit can grow weak. As I've said many times before, in this Christian walk, there are days and times, again, where we feel so strong, right? There are days and times where we are ready to go on mission trips. We are ready to evangelize the nation. We have our Bibles in our hand, tracks in our pockets. We're calling out demons saying, come get it. You don't want to mess with me. We are, we are doing our daily devotions. We are reading our Christian books. Our inner person, our spirit is strong. We are feeling like Peter at the Last Supper. Remember what Peter says to Jesus in Luke twenty-two thirty-three. Peter says, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and death. But Peter was feeling strong. Peter was really feeling himself. He said, Lord, I am right or die with you. I am ready to go. And a little bit later, what happens? Tribulations come. Peter sees Jesus getting slapped around. Peter sees Jesus with a swollen face from getting beaten. Peter sees Jesus with bloodshed. But now he is spooked by a servant girl who IDs him of having been with Jesus. See, this is a picture of the Christian life. Times our inner person is spiritually strong, but then there, there are times due to tribulation or difficult seasons in life or fear and discouragement like the Ephesians where we are wondering if we believe. See, this is one of the reasons the church that lead churches. They are going through what they're going through and in need of inner strength, and nobody from the church checks up on them. And so they sometimes just fall away from the church, and some have even fallen away from the faith. I remember talking to a brother who had um, lost, I, I think it was a, a relative. He told me nobody checked up on him, and he was really discouraged by it, and he was really down by it. So that's why, brothers and sisters, we need to be vigilant in each other's lives. So we can know when my brother or sister is so spiritually weak that they need to be strengthened. But the apostle, because he had the experience of dealing with so many churches, he knew when a church was in need of inner strengthening. What we often find in Paul's letters is that he would send a brother to go and check up on the church and be planted when he had heard that they were facing persecution. Why? Because that is when faith in the inner person grows weak. That's when your, your spirit tends to get weak. So Paul here, he has the sense of what he had that sense. And so now Paul is praying for inner strength for the church at Ephesus to stop them from losing heart. But he knows to fix the problem. What does he do? He goes right to the solution. As Brother Anthony ended his, his testimony, he said, God, that's how uh, Paul goes. Um, that's what Paul does to, to fix his solution um, that the Ephesians are dealing with, their discouragement. He goes straight to God as the solution. Look at the petition here. He says in, uh, in verse 16, he says that he, talking about God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Do you notice how even as he is going to the Father on the behalf of the Ephesians, do you notice that even in that moment, he is still giving glory to God? Do you see that? He's still giving honor and glory to God, even by going and making this petition. So he's saying that God, out of the abundance of your glory, because everything you do is glorious, 
out of the abundance of your glory, the riches of your glory, please grant my brothers and sisters to be strengthened with, with inner strength by the power of your Holy Spirit. I love that because do you see the apostle's heart here? His care and concern for his brothers or sisters. He just wants Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith. He just wants them to be strengthened in their inner person and ultimately at the end filled with the fullness of God. And we'll get to the, what that means in a little bit later in the weeks to come. But do you see his heart here? This is why he's going to the Father. He, he wants his brothers and sisters spiritually strong, and he, he's concerned that, they're not, that they may not be spiritually strong. So he's praying to the Father that, Father, will you give them a strength by the, the power of your Holy Spirit? Do you see the apostle's heart here? Do you see his care and concern for his brothers and sisters? Oh, this is the prayer that many of you have prayed. Many of you have, have prayed for another brother or sister who have maybe have been fallen away, who have been overcome with temptation, and, or who have been backslidden, and you found yourself praying to God, praying the same similar prayer, asking God to go and strengthen my brother or sister in their inner person, God. Strengthen their faith, God. Help them to believe, God. Help them to stay strong through the midst of this, God. Help them or, or give them a power to overcome. See, you've done that. You're doing the same thing that Paul is doing for the Ephesians. Recognize that a brother or sister is down, and so you're praying to the Lord of glory and asking for a inner strength so that they can overcome, so that they can push through. Paul is asking for strength with power in a person by God's Holy Spirit. But it's the end of the petition here. It's the end of the petition only spiritual strength, or is Paul actually leading towards something, or is he going somewhere? See, he's praying for spiritual strength in the inner person with the end result of Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith. See, that's why he's praying for inner strength. And it's not just inner strength for the sake of inner strength, but he's praying for inner strength in the, the spiritual person so that their faith may be strong and intact so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. So, you got to see it. So, so, so it's like the inner person basically is tied to faith and faith is needed for Christ to dwell and take residency in our heart. And if you attack the faith of the inner person or the spirit, then you are now attacking our relationship with Christ, with Christ who dwells in our heart by faith. So that is why Paul is praying for strength in the inner person, because it all affects their relationship with Christ dwelling by faith. It's, it's all this connection. Now, this is the part of the petition. And I'm just going to be frank. This is the part of the petition where the debate and various interpretations come in. Because the thought is, generally, isn't Christ already dwelling in the hearts of believers? Doesn't this happen at new birth? So, so why then is Paul praying for Christ to dwell in the hearts of these Ephesians? Right? That's generally the question. And my response to that is, yes, Christ does come into the hearts of believers at new birth. Yes, that is true. And yes, by way of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into contact with the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit himself. And, and, and they dwell in us, and they, we dwell in them, and they dwell in us. And we've already looked at in Ephesians how we are seated in, in heavenly places with Christ. Where Christ is, I am also. We are in and we are one. Paul also says in Galatians 2.20 that he has been crucified with Christ, and that it's no longer he who is living, but it's Christ that is living inside of him. But understand, Paul in this prayer, guess what? 
he is not speaking in salvific terms or terms dealing with salvation, but more experientially or, or, or our experience with Christ, our relationship with God. And I say that because the landing spot or the ultimate objective of this prayer to the Ephesians is that at the end, they will be filled with all of the fullness of God. Be filled with all of, again, the, the fullness of God. And, and that's being filled with the fullness of God. It's not just having right doctrine. And it's not just salvation, but it, it is an experience or encountering of God. For example, in, in Acts chapter 2, if you recall in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, this is Acts 2.4, the scripture states that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in unknown, um, in, in other known languages. They were unknown to them, but they were speaking in um, known languages. So when the Holy Spirit filled them, it wasn't just like, whoa, now I have all of these great doctrines. And that was also true, but it was also this experience of them now speaking in a language that they had not known. The filling of the Holy Spirit also changed attitudes and gave courage. Later in the book of Acts, you'll see in Acts chapter 4, the scripture states that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's given this courage to speak boldly to the rulers and elders. So when Paul is praying for the Ephesians to, to have this their inner person strengthened with power so that Christ would may, may dwell, he, he's not just talking about salvific terms but he's talking about an experience. He's talking about them relationally communing with the Lord. Think about it. When, when he's praying for their inner person to be strengthened with power, notice that he's not praying for their inner person to be made alive or resurrected. That would be a salvific term. But no, Paul is aware that these Ephesians are saved and that they know the Lord. Because remember chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So he's aware that these Ephesians know the Lord. It's not a salvific question, but his prayer on behalf of these Ephesians is one of more their experience with the Lord, their relationship with God, their relationship with Christ. You can, you can even get a, a picture of that as you a glean into verse 19, for example, where he's praying that these Ephesians would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Now, he's not talking about just cognitive understanding of the love of Christ or head knowledge of the love of Christ, but he's talking about, he said, he said it goes beyond knowledge. It is more of a making the love of Christ real to you. It's coming alive to you where you experience and know it. That is the prayer that he's praying for these Ephesians. Not just head knowledge, not just salvation, but he's talking about really encountering and knowing and experiencing and truly grasping and putting your hands around the love of Christ. Again, when he's praying for these Ephesians, when he's praying for Christ to dwell in the heart, this deals more with relationship experience and sanctification in the heart, more than salvation is, is Christ dwelling in the heart because we're now saved. That's, that's not the point I believe that Paul is getting at here. See, church, you, what we must understand is this. Through, through a lack of faith, triggered by tribulations, triggered by fear, uh, triggered by discouragement or just simply filling your heart with other things in this world, you can begin to push Christ towards the exit of your heart. So as opposed to your, your faith fully resting in him, you can begin to place your faith in other things such as 
money, dreams, goals, um, political parties, political ideologies, political figures, which is really big now. And with this misplaced faith, just like in the case of the Ephesians, maybe their, their situation was fear and discouragement, that can begin to attack your inner person and you can begin to grow spiritually weak and Christ gets pushed towards the exit of your heart more and more and more. Pointing case would be the church in Laodicea. Revelations 3.20. I know this is a, a very familiar verse, but let me just read it to you here. Revelations 3.20, behold, and Reverend Pope, I, I don't know if you're still on. I know this is a verse that you've preached so many times. Um, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Now, this is a very well-known verse. This is the verse that is, I would say, that is probably erroneously quoted to unbelievers in an attempt to bring them to faith. But if you look at this letter, this letter is not written to unbelievers. This here in Ephesians, uh, Revelation 3.20. This letter is written or addressed to believers. It's addressed to the church. It's addressed to people who know Jesus, but has pushed Jesus out of the door. And now the Lord, the Lord is now knocking, calling them to repentance and saying, let me in and make room. So brothers and sisters, we can, like I said, by putting our faith in other things, by, by putting our, our, filling our heart with other worldly things, we can begin to push Christ towards the exit of our heart. We see that there with the church in Laodicea where Christ is saying, I stand at the door, church, knocking. He's calling them to repentance. They were, again, they were, they were rich and they were starting to look more to themselves and not to, to God. And so he's calling them to turn back, repent. Let me in, I'm knocking at the door. So brothers and sisters, we have to guard our hearts. We have to purify by cleansing, cleansing, cleansing it and, and making room so that Christ can dwell by faith. But we don't do this in our own strength. We do this by calling on the Lord, as Paul is doing for the Ephesians, and asking him to strengthen us with power by the Holy Spirit. Notice that the apostle does not pray for these Ephesians simply to be strengthened, but he says to be strengthened with power, dunamis in the Greek. He said that you be strengthened with power. Why power? What is this power for? so that you can overcome or go to whatever is causing your inner person to grow weak. In the case of these Ephesians, it's fear or discouragement. And so the Holy Spirit is coming in and giving power in the inner person so that they can be fearless. See, God does not always change the trial or tribulation that we're going through, but by the Holy Spirit, he does give inner strength and power so that we can go through the tribulation with our faith intact so that Christ continues to dwell in our hearts by faith. That's a very important point, brothers and sisters. That's a very important point. That God, does not, again, does not always change our trials and tribulations, but by the Holy Spirit, he will give you an inner strength and power to go through the tribulation with your faith intact so that Christ still dwells in that most intimate place, which is your heart. So you have to look, brothers and sisters, look into your life and ask yourself, if there's something that is spiritually weakening me, is there something that is weakening my faith? If that is the case, 
Pray to the Father that he gives you a strength with power to overcome it so that it does not mess up your union with Christ. Because whatever it is that's, that's making you weak spiritually, guess what? It is a threat to your relationship with Christ. Because as your inner man gets weak, your faith begins to tank. And it's that faith that we need for Christ to dwell in our hearts, to constantly look to Christ. So church, examine yourself. Examine your, your inner person. If you are feeling spiritually weak, Ask the Lord to reveal. Ask the Lord to ask you, am I going astray? Have I begun to put my faith in other places? And therefore, it is weakening me spiritually. What am I consuming in my life on a daily that's causing me to grow weak spiritually? And that is now affecting my relationship, my communion with Christ. Ask the Lord this. Pray for the Lord to give you a power, just like the Apostle Paul is praying for these Ephesians to be strengthened in their inner person so that Christ will dwell by faith. Pray for me, brothers and sisters. Pray for Brother Anthony and, and Veronica. As they said they, they need strength in the inner person. Pray that God strengthens them to give them a power to push through and that their relationship with Christ stays strong and they go powerfully in his name. Pray for your brothers and sisters here on this group chat. Pray for God's spiritual strength in the inner person. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work mightily in their lives. Again, that Christ may dwell there by faith. This is our, our challenge today. This is our commission, church. Prayer. Going to God during times of spiritual weakness, especially in the inner, inner person. This is what we learned here from Paul in his prayer for the Ephesians his heart, his love for them. He's going to the Father. And so we must go to the Lord and ask for spiritual strength as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, Lord God. Strengthen my brothers and sisters. Give them a power, a mighty power to overcome whatever that threatens that relationship with you, God. Bring them awareness, Lord, of you, your truth, God, who you are. We love you, Lord. It's you we need. We are nothing without you, God. It's you we look to for inner strength. It's you we look to for power. We thank you, Lord, that you will grant it. We thank you that you have granted that to your children. You hear our petition. It's God, allow this word to go forward today. Bring new ideas to the minds of my brothers and sisters to fully help them gather this, understand this text. Anything that I've missed, Lord God, make it clear to them as they're driving or whatever they're doing, Lord. Just make your word plain. Give us life to your word, God. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.